Good morning. Welcome to the Tradcast Show. I'm Trad Patrick. So, I wanted to talk to you today about uh, a few things, one of which is something that I, I, I deem false ideologies. And the reason I call them false ideologies is because they mistakenly take what is a true ideology and then add to it and build upon it. But I wanted to start today uh, with an update on me. Uh, I'm sorry I haven't been recording. As some of you know, I I have um, I have the the dreaded kung flu. Um, I'm on the I'm on the mend, um, but the doctors have said that it, it can it can take weeks to to be fully recovered, um, and it's hard. Um, to be honest with you, anybody who's underplaying this thing at all um, should really have their head examined. Um, we have, I believe it's about a hundred and I, I think this morning we're at about, about 175,000 cases in the United States. Um, and we hear boomers like Bill Mitchell talk about diarrhea. Uh, as I've said, diarrhea has existed forever. Uh, this is not, this is a spread to 175,000 people in the span of five weeks. Um, and really when we want to really, really, really talk about it, we're talking only a couple weeks, um, since the president has enacted the social distancing and stuff like that, um, it's still spreading. So, um, it's painful. Uh, I just want to tell you that it's, it's very painful. Um, you don't want to get it, do the social distancing, stay home if you don't have to go out. Uh, if you do have to go out, try to go out during the off-peak hours uh, of the stores, you know, when they first open, right before they close. Um, shelves are bare out there. They are bare. Um, you know, being told that we have to social distance, you know, for another, you know, 31 days uh, is difficult. And people, especially in America, are not used to it. They, they're they rejecting it. They're denying it. Um Doctors say that, you know, two million people could have died uh, if we didn't act. Two million people dead. I mean, that's, you know, that's a big deal. And now we're saying 200,000 people can die uh, here in America from this from this Chinese flu. Um, that's an even bigger deal. Because we're saying we went from two million to 200,000. 200,000 people are going to die uh, from this in in that's a big deal. You know, these, these boomers don't look at it as a big deal because all they think about is money, but it's a big deal. But uh, as I said, it's painful. Um, yesterday, I was able to start talking again uh, without having a loss of breath um, at times. Uh, still today, I still have that, uh, <coughs> still have the cough, as you can hear, um, but I still do have um, the loss of breath. Uh, it's hard to breathe. Um, after I talk a bit, so I might be a little bit slower, a little bit lower today than usual. Uh, so I do apologize for that. Um, but today we're going to talk about one of my favorite false ideologies. And it's because, uh, what I've decided is I'm not going to tear down these people anymore. Um, just because I feel like it's too easy. So I'm just going to refute everything they believe in. Um, and one of them is this idea of anarcho distributism. First off, this idea of anarcho anything. We have anarcho liberalism. We have anarcho libertarian. We have anarcho capitalist. We have anarcho. It's ridiculous. You can't just take an ideology and put anarcho in front of it and turn it into an, anar an, an anarchist version of that ideology. It just doesn't work. Um, so the gentleman who coined this phrase, uh, anarcho distributism he wrote his opus about it uh, Whitman uh, this is a dark anarcho distributism can't neatly fit into two typical categories it's neither anarcho capitalism nor anarcho communism it's simultaneously neither and both it's basically mutualism but of a different variety it is anti-capitalist in the fullest sense it is left libertarian so as an anarchist, the anarcho-distributist is ultimately looking for the total abolition of the state. Okay, let's stop here. Distributism 
as some of you know, it was a coin termed by people like Father Vincent McNabb, G.K. Chesterton, Hilaire Belloc, uh, and many others. Many others. But they are the, they are the ones that really get the, uh, the press, the full court press for inventing it. And I would really put most of it, if I had to, on McNabb and Belloc. Chesterton was more of kind of, he was there, but he wasn't really um, the one of the, the developers or designers of the, the ideology. Um, it's very clear from reading Belloc's writings and Father Vincent McNabb's that they were against anything that was liberal and they were completely against anything that was communist. So to try to take those two ideologies of leftism and uh, communism and attach them to distributism is in fact a false equation. You can't do it. It actually strips away distributism when it says when it says the total abolition of the state. Read Belloc, read uh, Economics for Helen, read the Restoration of the State. Um, Belloc is not anti-state. Matter of fact, he's like. Most of us, he probably would be more of a his his ideal government would probably be more of a of a traditional monarch, okay. Um, but nowhere is he against the state, and this people like this are why people like Tim Gordon go out and call distributism socialism, because these people have taken this ideology. And brought it into this 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 world of libertarian and communist ideologies. Um, uh, he goes on here and he says we see distributism as a stepping stone on the way to voluntarism, voluntary government, which will open up the market to competition in every shape. Free banking, competing currencies, competing police services in the same area, competing defense forces, etc. This voluntarist state, which allows voluntary agencies on the free market to compete in every way, will ultimately wither away as free com competitors in defense, security, law, banking, etc., reduce it to a non-governmental status as just another competitive firm in the free market. Okay, so here they are trying to take the idea, the libertarian idea, if you would, that the free of the markets, the free of the people. Okay, voluntarism to me, is a bad idea. To have a government of volunteers is bad. Um, you know, to, to have competing police and competing governments and competing everything, that's a bad thing. It's never going to work. And as a Catholic, okay, I ultimately want the perfect monarch, okay? But as 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 a philosopher who whose uh, real training, if I if you would, if, um, in my my life is geared toward um, politics in a way, I'm a fa I'm a fascist. I, I know that everybody hates the f word. Everybody hates that word. Um, so I, I I change it up and I use words like corporatist and. I know that in order to get to that monarch, we have to start with that authoritarian leader. Now, if we go back and we read Immortality Day, if we read Quadrissimo Anno, if we read any of the encyclicals by any of the popes on what we would term the state, they all say the same thing, that, that government has to exist. Government existed in Christ's time. It was there, right? The Roman, the Roman Empire existed. It was the government, and even smaller and locally, it was the Sanhedrin. Were they were they bad government? Yes, they were bad government. Were the Romans? Not really, not necessarily. But there's always been government. There always has to be government, and it always has to be classes. People like this W. J. Whitman who wrote this, uh, what I would say is, if you run out of toilet paper, print this out and use this because this is perfect to wipe your ass with because that's about all it is. It's complete and utter dribble, if you would. Um, 
And one of the reasons I'm bringing this up is because Tim Gordon's decided to have a guy on his show who considers himself a a narco distributist. And I want to know if this guy believes in this nonsense. Because Economics for Helen talks about how the free markets are bad. That a market has to be based upon needs. Not upon just everybody being able to do whatever they want. Okay? A market should be a market in the truest sense of what a market was back in the day, right? You'd go to the market and there'd be vendors there making pottery. So you need you need new dish, a new dish, a new plate. You buy a new dish, you buy a new plate. Um, one of the things I'll tell you about markets is still in some places, especially in, in European countries, in, in the country, when you go out in the country uh, of Europe, um, you will see farmers uh, who, uh, let's say, uh, let's say they farm asparagus, and they go over to a guy to bring him a couple kilos of, of asparagus, um, and that guy's a, a pig farmer. He doesn't necessarily pay him with cash all the time. He might have just made some sausage, so he gives him a couple kilos of fresh sausage. Um, you know, he uh, he goes over to another person who 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 does something else, and and they bake they bake cakes and they exchange. So the idea of the market today is not that it's not a bartering. It's always money. It's always cash. It's always the exchange of a good for money, a good for money. Markets in the past weren't always like that. You went to the market and sometimes you had a stall across from a guy, you needed a pair of shoes and he needed a couple kilos of of, 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 of meat, pork, of, of, of beef, whatever. And you exchanged it. Um, <coughs> this is number one. Okay. Um, so... This idea with the free market comes into play, and this is where these narco distributors come in, right? Now, I'm not really sure where the distributism is here yet, right? So we've heard about completely free markets, okay? So it's libertarian. We've heard left libertarian, and we've heard uh, communist, okay? But we haven't heard distributors yet, okay? Let's go on to the next chapter here. Before we arrive at anarchy or even voluntarism, we must first implement distributist policies. Ah, so here we go. He finally says the term distributist. In order to undo some of the things that the government has done, anarcho-distributism is a form of dialectical libertarianism. Okay. I've been doing this a long time, and I think this dude is just making up words. Okay. The dialectical libertarians point out that there are two types of government interventions in the economy, primary interventions and secondary interventions. There is an initial intervention, which is the primary cause of injustice. One of these primary injustices end up give, having negative, sometimes unintended consequences. For instance, the government may introduce a regulation that restricts competition and creates an artificial monopoly. This is a primary intervention. But the monopoly will inevitably have monopoly prices. The lack of competition will lead to unnaturally high prices, and consequently, the government must do something in response to the unintended. Con blah 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 blah. Okay, this guy is taking a whole lot of words and a whole lot of time to come up with the point that he believes that <coughs> government intervention, i.e., what I believe in corporatism, uh, leads to monopolies. And monopolies inevitably have high prices and blah 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 blah. Let's let's break down a few a few lies about monopolies for a second here. We could use some very famous names: Rockefeller, Carnegie, um, Morgan, you know, uh, Vanderbilt, Ford. We can go through all of these people um there's a there's actually a really good series if you want to see it it's called the men who built america um it's a little left-leaning because it's from the history channel but still pretty good uh i would uh i would read it um anyway monopolies are not inherently bad 
per se, depending on what they are, okay? Um, in a corporate state, there are certain things that the government would control as a monopoly, if you would. Um, things like electric, water, um, and the such. It would be, it would be controlled by a local government, though. So, if you live in the state of Wyoming, the state of Wyoming would probably own the utility companies. Okay, this is not this is not a far stretch. Understand from what we have today, the, the government does own certain companies and certain things, and at the local level. The DMV, for example, is owned by your state. It's not owned by an individual. It's not part of a free market. There's no competition uh, to uh, be a um, uh, a DMV, a motor vehicle guy, if you would. Okay. Um, this guy is trying to say that anytime you have that, you're going to have higher prices. Now. If you have a private company that has no no competition, yes, there is the there is the validity to that being the case. Um, but again, Belloc addresses this. Belloc addresses this. He's he's not an anarchist. He's not all this this crazy stuff that this guy's going over here. Belloc says that there's an answer to this, and the answer is simple. The answer is is that you you deal with this by by basically uh, what's called a punitive tax, if you would. Um, the, and that punitive tax, uh, the way it works is that these companies have large pieces of property. The way, the way that uh, Belloc is the example is a pizza place. If you own one pizza place or maybe two pizza places, you, you're fine. But when you get to the point where you own like a Starbucks and you have one on every corner... Um, then you get taxed very high because you want to. You, it's not so much to destroy the monopoly; it's to destroy the idea that they're of the property, how much property they own. Okay, so this guy's taking Belloc's ideology and twisting it, and he's trying to use his own thing. And he even puts in the footnotes, "Anarcho-distributed" is a term I coined to describe my own views of how an anarchist revolution could be brought about. It's an elected. It's an eclectic notion that synthesizes the best ideas of distributism, voluntarism, and anarchism. Now, as a Catholic, you cannot buy into this ideology. <clears throat> Much like you cannot buy into the libertarian or the liberal ideology or the socialist ideology or the communist ideology, Catholics cannot be anarchists. Okay. Um, one of these days, I'll, I'll post a picture of my desk and, and the countless books that I have on here uh, for research and stuff like that. I have a very big desk because I, I do I do this and I do my work work here. And as many of you know, I'm, I'm an architect and an engineer. Um, and that's my, my, my day job. That's my Bruce Wayne. This is my Batman. Um, but, I mean, I could go through every one of these books and I can tell you how Anarchan is is completely against every pope, it's against every saint, it's against every doctrine of, of ideology that Catholics have. And much like liberalism is. Many people don't understand that, many people fight against it. Uh, they say libertarianism is okay. Well, libertarianism is liberal. It is it is actually the crux of, of liberal. Uh, even the, you, you, can't, you can't say libertarian without liberal. Um, it's as simple as that. So this guy's creating this. He's coming up with this idea. Is free markets have to be, you know, completely um, the way to go. Um, libertarianism is the way to go. Left libertarianism, by the way, is is the one of the things where you have to be completely ridiculous because left libertarianism uh, that would mean you're okay with abortion and same sex marriage and and all the other um, nonsense that goes along with uh, leftists and libertarianism. Um, so you're going to get all of it. You're going to get the drugs. Um, you know, when these people, when these people like this talk about free markets, believe me, they're talking about prostitution. They're talking about drugs. They're talking about gambling. They're talking about every sin and vice on the planet because they don't believe anything should be restricted. There's no state. There's nobody to restrict it. Their belief is that if it's, if it's a consenting adult, it's okay. And just look the other way. That's where... 
these people start to get into a lot of trouble. And again, the, the misplaced ideology about monopolies, and I'll tell you where the misplaced idea of monopolies comes from. Class. Many people in America do not understand that there needs to be classes of people. The church is not against the idea of classes of people. Matter of fact, it's <coughs> it's a hierarchical church. We have we start out at, uh, as <coughs> deacons, then the priests, and then the bishops, and the cardinals, and the you know all these. They're classes. They are classes, and 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 just like in life, there has to be classes. The problem is in America, we don't have an aristocracy. And so in America, we believe that we're all equal. And that's primarily one of the things that leads to people like this coming up with nonsensical uh, ideas like this. Um, <coughs> uh, this guy goes in to say, uh, you know, manifests itself into monopoly prices. Government must decide to engage in price fixing. Limiting the amount of monopoly is allowed. In charge of goods, blah, blah, blah. Now, you've heard me say, um, I absolutely agree that the government, as a corporatist, um, that the government should work with the corporations uh, to come up with fair pricing, or, or what Aristotle coined as just price. Um, now, Aristotle's definition of just price is, and, and I'll break it down to you in the non-philosophical point, if it costs, and I think I've done this before, if it costs you $5 uh, to make, manufacture, and bring to market a device, well, you can't sell it for $5. You don't make any money. You can't sell it for 4 because you lose money. So both of those are not just price. But what is the just price? So just price is the profit. So if you charge $5, you break even. That's your break even. If you charge $6, all right, that's that's maybe good, um, but you can't really put enough back into the company because you just broke even. Now that that dollar maybe is profit for you uh, and your board or your 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 people who invested in your company, uh, because in the past you didn't have stockbrokers and stocks and stuff like that. You had people, individual people, who invested in the company, and according to the church, they were entitled to. Uh, a share of the profit and the loss uh, equal to what they put in. So the corporations and the government in a, in a corporatist uh, style government would sit down and say, okay, where is an acceptable profit? So $10 is probably too much. You're making double. Uh, so $5 over the price of what it costs to bring to market probably not where you're going to be but you could probably fall somewhere around the two dollar or two dollar and 25 cents so now you sell that for seven dollars and 25 cents that's the just price because there is a profit you are recouping your expenses so the idea that distributism is anti-capitalist which this troubled individual things um is completely false the church is never against profit. The church was never, ever against profit. The church is against unjust profit. So, let's go on to his... <laughs> we ought to push for the immediate abolition of all rules and regulations that can be demonstrated to primary interventions. However, the dialectical libertarian... I don't know where this guy comes up with his terms. Holds that one ought not to repeal the second interventions until you have first undone the primary interventions. You cannot justly abolish price fixing from monopolies unless you first abolish the monopoly by allowing free competition. Okay. <clears throat> he keeps coming back to free competition and free markets. Let's take our current crisis. We are all having to social distance ourselves from everybody. We are not able to attend mass. We are not able to do all the things that we do on a daily basis that makes us human beings because we are in the midst of a crisis brought on by nothing less than the free market. The idea that of the free market, if I boil it down, 
very quickly is the more competition you have to make something, the more chance you're going to have of somebody looking for a cheaper, faster way to do it. That cheaper, faster way is never going to be doing it locally. Okay, let's just boil that down. It's never going to be doing it locally. So what do you do? You outsource it. Where do you outsource it? To third world nations. China is a third world nation. Many people do not understand this. I have been to China quite a few times. It is dirty. It is disgusting. It is nasty. Some people say, oh, I've been to... Yes, if you go to where the American and British and European businessmen and everything are, they purposely make that clean and as Western as they possibly can. Once you step out of those areas, which I've had to do, uh, and go into the what you would call the suburbs or whatever, it is disgusting. When you go down the alleys of the markets, they're nasty. They're not like European or even Middle Eastern markets. To be honest with you, even the Middle Eastern markets are, are, are cleaner than the Chinese markets. Um, you know, so that's free competition. That's what he's talking about. He wants to bring as much of that possibly as he can because it lowers price. <clears throat> if if the example I just gave was seven twenty five for a device, for whatever it is, and my 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 decision is to spend the seven twenty five or to spend four twenty five, but the four twenty five comes from China, I'm gonna spend the seven twenty five, and I'll tell you why. Because if that's made in America by, by like, let's say Mike Lindell, okay? Great guy. His speech yesterday at the Rose Garden, absolutely beautiful, right? That's an American story. Guy was a crackhead. He was such a crackhead that crack dealers didn't want to sell him any more crack, okay? He found God and creates a pillar. A pillar. Think about that for a second. He went from smoking crack and being denied crack to being a millionaire because he found God and made a pillow. Something that is out there all the time. But not only did he find the pillow and make the pillow, but he makes the pillow locally in his, in his home state using home, homegrown labor. And his pillow, I think I've seen him like 30, 40 bucks at Walmart. Walmart has a whole bunch of pillows that are five, six dollars. I'm gonna buy a my pillow because Mike Lindell makes it, and people that Mike Lindell knows makes it. My fellow Americans make it. A narco distributist here turns his back on that ideology. He turns his back on the fact that distributism, at its core, is anti-free market. It is anti-free market at its core because free market destroys the community. It destroys subsidiarity and it destroys that localness. That's what Mr. Dialectical Libertarian doesn't understand. You cannot have free markets because once you open up free markets, you're always going to have a situation where we are at today where we have put all of our health in the hands of people who take surgical masks and rub them on their dirty, nasty feet before they put them in a box and send them to us. People who have not our best interests at heart at all. <coughs> okay, China is in a, a, a terrible economic state because we've been taking business away from them. And the more business we continue to take away from China, the worse China is going to get. And that's what people don't understand. This guy certainly does not understand that if he is, I'm only on page two. I'm only on page two and nothing so far other than one time where he mentions the word distributist is anything he said distributist at all. His ideology is really leftist ideology. It's anarchist ideology. Then he goes on to say, to a certain extent, we can look at minimum wage laws as being a secondary intervention. Government policies and regulations have caused wage labor to be necessary for most citizens. The collection of property taxes, subsiding of big businesses so that individual entrepreneurs can't compete with small businesses, mandatory insurance laws, zoning restrictions that prohibit individuals, blah, 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 blah. 
so most individuals have no option but to turn to wage labor. If you own a home, you must turn your wage labor market into steady income. Why? Because you have to be able to pay the property tax in order to keep the government from taking your home. As a result, the policy is the supply of wage labor is artificially high, which employs to purchase labor at artificially low, a price much lower than the real market value. The minimum wage is a secondary intervention. Uh, negative consequence of primary mentioned above, an increase in the minimum wage may affect many people in a negative way. However, it is necessary to raise the minimum wage if we cannot vote. Okay, this is a false argument. This is a complete argument of the left, the minimum wage. Okay, this is something I've wanted to talk about for a really long time. The minimum wage was, was enacted in the United States not, not to be a livable wage. What it was was to say that an employer can't hire a person and pay them like China, 25 cents an hour, 30 cents an hour. You can't do that. So the United States government stepped in and said, you know, minimum wage has to, the lowest you can pay a person is X. Okay. You, the reason you cannot just arbitrarily raise minimum wage is because supply and demand, right? Now, I, I, I kind of disagree with minimum wage to a point, and I'll tell you why. If I, as a as a father, own a family business, so hold on, I gotta drink some water. Sorry. Um, I, as a father, own a business, and I want to employ my sons. <coughs> my sons are young, and I don't think that I should pay them a lot. If I want to pay them a couple bucks an hour. I should be able to do that. Now, according to the labor laws, I can't do that. Even though they're my sons, I have a legitimate business. And I have to pay, I have to claim everybody I pay. Now, I know this for a fact because unlike a narco distributist here, whatever, um, I actually own businesses. And I can't pay them less than that wage. Now, America also has this thing about children working. I can't even employ my children at X age, even on, even on the farm. I can't employ them. I can't put them to work. If somebody came and saw my kids working in a yard or whatever, okay, you know, it's a family farm. They just, but if the wrong person came and saw my kids working all day out in the fields or something like that, or herding cattle or, or whatever, <coughs> I, I could get in trouble if they're under a certain age. This guy's belief is the same as the left, that no matter what you do, no matter what your level of talent, skill, or anything is, you should be paid a livable wage. The reason that doesn't work is if you pay, let's just say you pay somebody, uh, I think they're talking about $15 for people who work in like McDonald's, right? You pay this guy $15 an hour, two things are going to happen. Because you have the free market that he just... See, he contradicts himself. Because he, he pushes for the market to be free. So as much competition as possible, blah, 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 blah. Um, what happens is, is somebody's going to come along, compete you out of business because you're paying these people $15 an hour uh, to do what he's going to find a way to do for cheaper. See, because he, that's what he wants. He wants cheap, but he also wants everybody to, to be equal. It's very leftist here. It's very leftist. When you read this, it is... And, and I can understand where people like Tim Gordon and Jay Richards and all these other people get the idea that distributists are leftists or socialists because of people like this. Okay? Um, he's using a term that has nothing to do uh, with what he's saying. Then he goes on to try to back his back himself up and says perhaps a separate lower minimum wage might be necessary for teenagers and people doing certain types of unskilled labor. But then it's not a minimum wage. Then you're having a staggered wage. So at one point he's saying no government. So who's going to do all this? Who's going to put this in place if he just said in his first paragraph that he was working for the total abolition of the state? So there's no state, so who's going to enforce 
the 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 rules are we all just gonna have a, like a, a gentleman's agreement that you know what uh you know until you're 18 you're gonna get this and when you're over 18 you'll get that and oh by the way if you flip hamburgers you're only gonna get this again he's going into regulation but he doesn't want to state this is where anarchists and communist ideology becomes a mess because they can never justify anything. So they go on to the next thing and they go, well, maybe if we add this to this, if there's no state, if there's no regulatory authority, if there's no class of people to, to provide the laws, to enforce the laws, because he's saying, he's saying even police, even police, he's saying should be voluntary. Now, I'll back myself up here a little bit. When it comes to police, I don't think they should be volunteer. But I think they should be local, extremely local. What that means is every community, every town should have a police department. But that police department should have X amount of paid professional guys who are on all the time and then should have uh, a certain number of people who are volunteer. They live in the community. They are part of the community. And what they do is... Uh, like if you go back in the old days of America and you go to the Wild West, right? You had a marshal, you had a sheriff, and then they'd have a posse. And the posse was always built of guys in the town. So if anything happened and they had to, they had to go out, they deputized the guys and they went out and they they helped uh, do it. I think the police should be like that. I think one of the reasons that we have so many police in America and so many cops in America is that we. We have too many laws. So to some degree, I agree with him, but not to the point that he thinks I do. Um, I, I, I don't think we should be enforcing seatbelt laws. Okay? That's a, a grandiose waste of time and money. Um, if somebody doesn't want to wear a seatbelt, they don't wear a seatbelt. Let's be honest. The, 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 the idea that you're going to get into a head-on collision and go through uh, the windshield if you don't wear your seatbelt... Okay, that's that's a nine million to one. Okay, the the force that it takes to propel a person out of the seat and through the windshield uh, is incredible, and in in that case, you're going to die regardless whether you're wearing a seatbelt or not. Uh, laws should be as the Middle Ages intended them to be: simple, very simple. Don't steal. Don't rape. Don't murder. Don't fight somebody that you you just. Don't have a fight that you just don't need to have. Um, you know, fights broke out back then. And most of the time, you know, the local constable or whatever came around, broke it up, and that was it. And everybody went back to drinking and having a good time. Um, we have too many laws. We have, we have far too many laws in America. Um, and then we don't have laws where we need them. Like, you know, getting rid of pornography. Um, uh, morality laws. You know, things like that, that we don't have those. So um, so to a degree, I'd agree with him on the police port, but not not the way he thinks. I think that depending on the size of the town, the community, whatever, like in the suburbs or something like that, you might need maybe I'd say half to a quarter of the size of the police department that you have now. <clears throat> and then you supplement it with volunteers. And in a lot of places, they actually have it. Where I grew up, you could join what was called the police reserves and you would basically go out at night uh, on a shift uh, and you you had all the power of a police officer you could you could arrest you could do all that you were a reserve officer um, uh, and I think a lot of big cities uh, not big cities a lot of places out west still have this the called the you know reserve police and stuff like that and you actually pick up shifts basically is what it is you know a guy out whatever you pick up the shift and you go out and you're a cop you just don't get paid for it um, why do you do it? Because it's your community, it's your town. I think that's another thing that we really have to get back to is that police and firemen and stuff like that have to live in the town because then they're connected to it. Then they pull somebody over and they more than likely know them and they go, you know what, dude, you're going five miles over the speed limit. Uh, there's nobody else on the road. Just, you know, take it easy. And, and you go along. But now you have all these people who don't know anybody, don't know anything, don't care, and, and it becomes a big mess. But but again, he's talking about this from another standpoint. So if I have 10 different competing police departments and one of them doesn't want to enforce this minimum wage or five of them don't want to, or six of them don't want to, 
then you don't have that because nobody's going to enforce it. So he, he doesn't understand how the world works. And it's very evident here that this is written by somebody who probably doesn't have a job. Uh, most leftists and most left-leaning people don't have real jobs. Uh, you want to find out where guys who write this thing are? Go to Starbucks and order a coffee. That's where this guy probably is. Perhaps a separate blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, yeah, okay. Um, insofar as big businesses have lobbied for and taking subsidies from the state, they become an economic extension of the state. Okay. Again, as a corporatist, corporations should be, to an extent, an economic extent of the, of the state. Why? Because they should have the best interest of the, the locality. Now, this is where leftists get, get confused. When I use the term the state, or when Belloc used the term the state, we're talking about as local as you can get. Because the idea of subsidiarity as a whole is to take everything as local as you can get, wrap that in the protection of a large federal government. And, I, and I'll go back to our current crisis. Donald Trump is actually doing an incredible job right now. Incredible job. Uh, and I say this for many reasons. He is empowering the governors to act like governors for the first time ever. And that is subsidiarity. But if I took subsidiarity to its ultimate end, the governors would then be going out to the mayors of his state. Okay? Now, I don't know if that's going on right now, so I can't really say. I think a lot of the governors right now are just kind of acting, uh, which is fine, because it's a stepping stone to getting there. And what is, what is the president saying? He's saying, I'm leaving it in the hands of the governors, and the federal government is going to assist them, is going to aid them. That is the idea of subsidiarity. The federal government is not going to... The federal government stepping in where the federal government can. The Defense uh, Manufacturing Act. That's where the federal government can step in and act. That's where the federal government can help. Donald Trump said exactly the right thing. You don't nationalize businesses because that is socialism. You corporatize them. So he came, he came within, he came within a, a, a strand of hair of saying corporatism because he said we don't nationalize the companies but what we do is we bring the the CEOs and the boards together as a committee to sit and work with government what is he doing he's going out to people like Mike Lindell to Ford to Haynes to all these other people and saying what can you guys do to help us and what can I the federal government do to help you that the governors can't that is the crux of corporatism, which is where distributism lives. Distributism lives inside of corporatism. And that's what this guy doesn't understand. And he goes on, he kind of goes on rambling about this dialectical libertarianism. So I, I don't know if this guy's an anarcho distributist, a communist, or a dialectical libertarian. Uh, he says that the vulgar libertarian approach is uh, extremely flawed. Uh, dialectical libertarianism calls us to consider the system as a whole and to consider the role played by each government, each instance of government intervention. In the words of Kevin A. Carson, this means it is a mistake to consider any particular form of state intervention in isolation without regard to role in its overall system. <clears throat> so I'm trying to understand. So he goes in the words of Kevin A. Carson, free market reforms and a reduction of statism. Um, so I'm guessing that's the, the book that he's quoting from. This means it is a mistake to consider any particular form of state intervention in isolation without regard to the role it plays in the overall system. We must remember that the measure of statism inheres in the functioning of an overall system, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Um, I don't know what he's getting at, to be honest with you. Um, it, it's kind of rambling. He says, again, anarcho-distributism is realistic. It recognizes that markets are useful and under existing conditions necessary. It is worth noting that 
uh, Bokin and Barari, in my opinion, two of the most important communist writers, both made the same observation. So again, he's going back to communism now. He's praising communism, he's praising liberalism, but it, to this point, we're at the end of page three, he's not mentioned distributism or distributist thought. He's just using the word. So he goes on to say that, that, that they're, they're the epitome of statism markets, but they're necessary and quite useful for the anarchist cause, especially if we can free them from regulation. So again, he doesn't want any regulation on the market. So think about what no regulation on the market means. It means that you could go out and buy something that could potentially kill you. What he's saying is, is that it's up to you to decide whether or not, and to be smart enough to decide whether or not that thing you're going to buy is going to kill you. Because that's what regulation is. Regulation is not a dirty word. Regulation is absolutely 100% needed. In every sense of the word, it is needed. You cannot have a state without regulation. You can't. You can't have a society without regulation because the people will be hurt. So he doesn't want regulation on the market, but he wants regulation on the wages. Do you see where these ideologies get all screwed up? Because they hear a term like distributism and they like the term. In my opinion, I think the biggest, the biggest mistake that Belloc made was calling it distributism. He should have called it something else. Because it was going to be taken. Notice how these people don't take the term corporatism. Why? Because corporatism stands up loud. Distributism can be sometimes a bit misunderstood and easily taken by people like this. Because he goes on to say that his, total, his goal is the total abolition of the state. He says that the empirical economic structure of the state must be eliminated piece by piece. Because his only problem with the whole thing is, is that if they, if, they do, if they change anything, that the beneficiaries of the state right now would be given an unfair advantage. So again, he wants, he wants fairness. Now he starts to get into, at the end of page four, in the last paragraph of page four, he starts to talk about land and the private ownership of land. He says most land is owned by corporations and banks who rent it out under mortgages. Now, he's right and he's wrong. Okay, The majority of land in the United States of America is what we would say uh, is uh, bank-owned, not corporate-owned. Because even, even, even the corporations that own property own them through mortgage. They don't own all these properties outright. They're paying a mortgage, or they're paying, or they're paying a landlord um, who owns the property, like a Tishman Spire, or or um, a Verado, somebody like that, who owns the building, uh, and they lease out the building to a corporation, like let's say um, Amazon or Microsoft. They're not paying the property tax, but Verado or Tishman Spire, they're the ones who are paying the property tax. They're the ones who are paying everything, not the corporation. So the corporation doesn't, the corporation that's in there doesn't own it, but another corporation owns it. So again, very, uh, let me put throw this in there and, and kind of like get people all riled up, but I'm not really explaining the truth of the matter. As far as banks renting it out and mortgages, yes, he's right, but it's not, that's homes. So we have to break down the difference of property and homes. What is he talking about as property? Now, when Belloc and McNab Father McNabb talked about property, they're talking about five acres, okay? When you get into the country in Europe, okay, when you get outside the big cities, you know, the Romes, the Venices, uh, the Parises, and you get out to the country, uh, most people in the countryside uh, live on what's called small, small farms small family farms, three to five acres uh, on average, a home, uh, maybe two homes on there, uh, family all lives there, um, and they, they, they run that uh, 
as as their sustenance. You know, that's how they eat. That's how they live. Uh, that's how they make money. Um, that's that's what McNabb uh, and uh, Father McNabb and Belloc were getting at. Because where were they from? They were from England. Um, they were living in London, um, but they knew the countryside and they understood it, and that's what they wanted to get to. <clears throat> the situation came about came due to enclosures and eminent domain policies in the past, as well as capitalistic feudal legal framework through which governments have confiscated private property and commons in order to redistribute ownership to an oligarch elite. Okay, then thereby creating landlords and and eventually the capitalist class. Okay, so let's break down eminent domain. A lot of people don't understand eminent domain. If they need to build a runway for the airport. And your house is in the way of the the of that. There is the idea that there's eminent domain because it's for the better good. You can fight it. You can go to court. You can do all that. But traditionally, they're paying you fair market value for your home, uh, and they take into consideration any loans or anything like that that you have currently. I'm not a fan of eminent domain. I'm not against eminent domain. I understand the necessary uh, reasoning for eminent domain, but we wouldn't have a need for eminent domain if we didn't have a free market system, which this guy wants, because we wouldn't have a constant influx of people into our country. So immigration and free market plays a big role in the, in the idea that you need bigger airports, you need bigger highways, you need all these things that would require the use of eminent domain laws. So I'm not for him, not against him, but I think this guy completely takes the idea wrong. He says it creates landlords and eventually a capitalist class. He's wrong because eminent domain doesn't take land so that they can build a, a high rise uh, and somebody like Tishman Spire or Verado can come along and make money off of it. Uh, it's for things like airports and highways and, and byways and stuff like that. So. Uh, again, he's conflating two different things and trying to make them the same. He's wrong. Uh, the existing inequality in terms of the distribution of wealth was created by government intervention. Capitalism is nothing like a free market. The term capitalism in reference to a specific economic system was originally coined by Thomas Hodkin, Hod, Hodkin, a free market economist and Ricardian socialist, used the term uh, to refer to the existing economic system during the Industrial Revolution, which system was heavily interventionalist in nature. Capitalism is an economic system in which the state intervenes in the, in the economy in order to benefit the capitalist class at the expense of all other classes. The chief characteristic of the capitalist system, the wage labor, and the vast majority of people are not capitalists or owners of productive property. Okay. <clears throat> Capitalism is hard to define. The Catholic Church is neither against nor for capitalism, okay? They never come out and say capitalism is great. You know, the, the popes never are blessing capitalism or anything like that. Capitalism can be a good system. The problem is in America, we wrapped capitalism into a free market. So he's fighting for, in his in his 12-page rambling, uh, for freer markets and freer markets can't be had without more capitalism more capitalism the freer the markets why because everybody's competing to make that lion's share uh, and the more competition you have the more you flood the market with stuff the more you it just it, it becomes it becomes insane this guy doesn't understand that his anarchy and his communism and his free markets are actually all the things that have brought all the problems that he's talking about. Capitalism screwed up. It screwed up uh, about in the 1950s when the free market really started to take off. Prior to that, everything was American-made, right? Everything. I mean, and you think about everything. Everything, manufacturing, everything was American. And it was it was very much set by America uh, we, we sold to ourselves, we sold outside our country, and when we sold outside our country, we charged a lot of money. Um, and that worked. And then we opened up these markets. And when we started to open up the markets more and more and more and more, 
we started to get more competition. We started to break things down. All the factories left. They were all, I mean, I've posted pictures on Twitter of all the factories all over the United States of America that are just shuttered and shut down and the towns that become ghost towns because they're gone. Why? Because of exactly what this guy is saying. They're seeking out no regulations. They're seeking out lower wages. They're seeking out more comp- less competition. Uh, and that's what they're going for. And now he finally... He finally goes the first step in distributism, a la G.K. Chesterton and Hilaire Belloc. Again, Belloc did not, uh, I mean, Chesterton did not actually come up with any of the structures of distributism. Belloc did. So this is the first clue that this guy really hasn't read any of the seminal writing. Chesterton kind of parroted Belloc. I, I love Chesterton, don't get me wrong. But when it came to distributism, Chesterton parroted Belloc. Okay, he he was not the innovator of distributism. That was Belloc uh, alongside Father McNabb. Uh, Notice, though, that this is coming from an anarchist, so there's no mention of Father, Father, the Catholic, Father McNabb, uh, in here. A uh, a redistribution in reverse in order to undo the original uh, redistributive effects of all government policies is necessary. The problem of land monopoly might be remedied through a quasi-Georgist policy whereby property taxes are used to encourage development of small plots, blah, 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 blah. We would want property redistributed away from absentee landlords and mortgage holders. Okay, again, he's he's asking for full ownership granted to actual possessors, users of land. Ownership needs to be redefined in terms of occupancy and uses. Uh, He goes in to talk about Belloc's differential tax. Um, but he doesn't explain it properly, okay? He doesn't explain the steps. He doesn't explain how there's uh, the difference between uh, you know, what Belloc termed, uh, uh, I, think he, I think he called it, uh, I can't remember the term he used, but this is a term he used for places that sell multiple things, like, like a Walmart, um, and he doesn't call it, uh, you know, he doesn't call it a... Uh, a market uh, per se. There's another term he uses, um, but there's there's different taxes for different things. So the, the differential tax isn't just uh, because you own land. It's also based on your your change out of goods. Your there's a whole bunch more to it. But this guy is completely uh, simplifying it, if you would. Um, he wants to just give land. He wants to give it. He doesn't want he doesn't want people to earn it or anything like that. He just wants to give it, and that is not what Chesterton. And Belloc and McNabb said what they said is quite simple. If you if you get to a point where the land is no longer used by these uh, corporations exclusively, the cost of the land goes down, and people are able to afford land. Belloc also goes into the fact that not everybody's going to want to work on land and that there are going to be people that are going to live in the cities and the suburbs and stuff like that. So he doesn't turn around like everybody thinks, you know, everything about distributism is we're all going to live in the Shire, which, by the way, there's nothing wrong with living in the Shire. Okay, it's a great life. But there are many people who don't want that life, and that's fine. But this guy wants to force everybody into that. So he's no state. He wants to force he wants to force all this stuff. He wants to force into idea this differential tax. Who's going to enforce it? So let's go back to his first four pages. His first four pages are getting rid of everything that's the state. There's nobody to enforce that differential tax. So his idea of distributism can never happen because he misses the point of everything that Belloc said. Path to Rome is an example. All these things are an example. He never once says to destroy the state. A matter of fact, he's an advocate for a large state. I'm at an hour, and I'm only at page six. I'm only halfway through, so obviously we're gonna we're gonna pick this up tomorrow um, and finish it. But I mean, the guy goes on to praise Karl Marx. He goes on to do a lot of stuff like that. And this is where we get false ideologies. It is the idea that many people, and I've said this before, don't understand true fascism. They don't understand it because they've never read it. Read it. Yeah, that's it. Because they're afraid of it. Because they've been told lies. 
Let me read you something. The value and mission of the state. The central point of fascist doctrine is the conception of the state, its essence, the work to be accomplished, its final aims, and the conception of fascism. The state is an absolute before which individuals and groups are relative. Individuals and groups are conceivable inasmuch as they are the state. The liberal state does not direct the movement in material and spiritual evolution of collectivity, but limits itself to recording the results. The fascist state, on the other hand, has its conscious conviction, a will of its own, and for this reason, it's an ethical state. So the idea is, and by the way, that was written by Mussolini. Um, the idea is that the liberal state, like he said, has no moral, has no, has no conscience. It's not going anywhere, which is very much what this guy is saying in, in his 12-page his rambling of stupidity. Um, the truth is, is that the state is not the evil. The truth is, is that when we get away from the idea and we get into this idea of what this guy wants, which is ultimate freedom, every libertarian is, is guiding toward themselves or toward what is called ultimate freedom. No rules, no morals, no guiding principles, no anything, just themselves against everybody else. That's a very hard thing to, to conceive in a lot of ways. And you get down to the point of trying to understand why these people have these beliefs and why they get to these ways of doing things. And, well, it's because people just want to be able to do whatever they want to do. And so they take a term like distributism because they hear this idea and they maybe read like, you know, five pages of something uh, and they didn't understand it. Um he quotes Goodman uh, in Introduction to Distributism, but he misquotes him. And that's, that's the problem with reading. And I've said this before, is that, that uh, Americans don't know how to read. They know how to process the words on the paper, but they don't know how to understand the words on the paper. And so they, they take those words, and it's much like the media does, right? What does the media do? They, they hear you say something and then they clip it. And they only use that, but they don't use what happened after that and before that. And I think Trump does a really good job of pointing that out. And he did it again yesterday to the, to the media, how hypocritical they are. But people like this are just as hypocritical. So anybody who calls themselves a narco anything, and cap, and liberal, and libertarian, and distributist, is, is ridiculous because what you're essentially doing is saying that you don't want anything. Anarchy is Satan. It's the devil. It's, it's evil. That's, that's what, that's what brought the devil into existence was anarchy. And, you know, we need to understand that. He revolted. That's why revolution as a whole is really not something that we Catholics are, are, are keen on. And you think about every revolution that's happened has been Masonic. What are the two largest Masonic nations in the world? France and America. Why? Both built on revolution. And then you get people like this. So... Uh, we're going to go back into some of his uh, his other ramblings. I mean, I could tell you I read this whole thing, and and it, it's just, I mean, it's it's terrible. There, there's not, he tries to put something together to make sense, but at the end of the day, none of it makes sense. None of it is, it's no state, but I want a bunch of rules. Who's going to enforce the rules? I don't know. That's his. That's that's the crux of his essay. So, uh, we'll go into the rest of it tomorrow, um, and uh, try to break it down again. Um, just steer clear of false ideologies, and and you know I'm gonna I'm gonna rely on some friends to listen to the 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 Tim Gordon show with this. Uh, self-proclaimed uh, anarcho-distributist because if the guy comes up with the same 
type of drivel, I'm going to find this guy and I'm going to ask him to come on my show because then I'm going to explain to him what true distributism is and I'm going to take him down. Um, I don't think this guy that he has on agrees with this guy, though. Um, I think Tim... Uh, I think Tim is using the term uh, to already uh, destroy the guy. But I believe that the guy he's having on, if if it's the guy I think it is, uh, I believe he's actually a pretty decent guy. I believe he's, um, I believe he's a Catholic. Um, so I, I'd find it hard to believe that he agrees with this guy at all. Um, but I can't listen to Tim. I can't. I can't go through an hour, dude, bro. Dude, bro, can't do it. I'll, I'll like put my head through a wall. Um, but I'm gonna rely on some other people to to give me the information uh, from that, and I'll probably watch like clips of it. But if the guy is like that, then then he's missing the point of distributism too. But again, I'm gonna go back and say that I don't think this guy is. I think this is Tim Gordon actually um, setting this guy up. I that's what I think. I, I think that, um, and I hope I hope so. I hope this guy isn't going to go on there and start spouting Karl Marx and talking about communism and anarchy, um, because then it just it's just going to make us look even worse uh, as as distributists. Because again, I don't call myself a distributist per se. I call myself a corporatist. Why? Because I believe distributism lies inside of corporatism. I believe corporatism is the political body. And distributism is the um, the social body. It's it's the the body that that it gets the housing and stuff like that going. But it's not really the political because even if you read distributism thoughts and speakings and stuff like that, they don't get into politics very much. And the reason is it's really not a political uh, ideology per se. It's more of a communal um, ideology. So you still need that overarching policy. Uh, over it and to me the only one that fits with it is corporatism and uh, that's why to me I I always say that corporatism is uh, the best system because it does have uh, distributism does have a place to live inside of it and that's uh, that's just what I believe so uh, with that uh, we'll go into tomorrow the rest of this uh, essay of stupidity as I'm as I'm dubbing it uh and uh, we'll finish out. Deo gratis.